0: This week on the Back Table Podcast.
1: Anybody who's interested in learning more about all things vascular disease, whether it's arterial venous, should register to come to either the veins and the Viva meeting. Lots of activities to do for families or people without in Las Vegas. And the setting is is so fun and gentle in a way because you will have these giants of the field just walking around the hotel and you could just pull them aside and say hey like what do you think about this obl controversy or what are your thoughts about you know the paclitaxel drama or how could we avoid things like that in the future So I really would encourage the audience to look into Viva and Veins and to come and really enjoy this great conference and and also Las Vegas. And it's Halloween, so who doesn't want to go to Las Vegas during Halloween? I mean, like that is a once in a lifetime thing. Like that has to be on everybody's bucket list. So why not just come and get it over with?
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Back Table Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. First, a brief message from our sponsor. Closure Fast Radio Frequency Ablation System, the technology you know and trust, is now offered in a lower 6 French profile. Find out from Medtronic engineers what a lower profile means for flexibility, navigation, and kink resistance at medtronic.com slash 6 f This discussion is supported by Philips Image-Guided Therapy Devices Academy, a resource aimed at improving patient outcomes with awareness, education, and optimized solutions throughout diagnosis, treatment, and follow-up. Their goal is to support healthcare professionals through the clinical pathway which takes their interest in Philips' best-in-class technology and translates it to applicable skills for appropriate clinical applications. They continue to deliver strategic, valuable educational programs that meet the evolving needs of their customers. Philips Image Guided Therapy Devices Academy will give you access to upcoming live courses led by leaders in the field, self-paced distance learnings, on-demand case reviews, personalized peer-to-peer training, and comprehensive educational opportunities. From basic to advanced educational opportunities, they are dedicated to helping you achieve long-term success as well as competence and confidence with the Philips peripheral device portfolio. They look forward to working with you on your developmental journey. If you have any questions, please contact them at philips.pvmeded at philips.com. That's philips.pvmeded at philips.com. Now, back to the episode. Looking forward to today's interview with radiologist Dr. Maureen Kohi and vascular surgeon Dr. Nitin Singh. We're gonna talk a little bit about the Vascular Interventional Advances Foundation, VIVA. Everybody knows it as VIVA, as well as VEINS, part of VIVA. Both Maureen and Denton are on the board of directors. We've had some previous board members on the show. We've had Gary Ansel, Mike Dake, Rago Kalori, Eric Sosemski, and most recently we had Sean Leiden on. We love the collaborative multidisciplinary mission of VIVA and VEINS, and uh, we at Back to it will share that mission of providing premier education in the fields of vascular medicine and intervention. Welcome, Maureen and Nitin.
1: Thank you so
0: much. Thank you.
2: Okay, let's start with intros. Tell me where you're at and what your practice looks like. I'm going to start with uh, you, Maureen.
1: So I am an interventional radiologist, as you mentioned. I am a professor and chair of the Department of Radiology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. It is a very um, broad interventional radiology practice. I'm on service one to two days a week, and the rest of my time is spent on administrative duties. Fantastic.
0: Nitin, how about you? Yeah, I'm at the University of Washington. I'm Associate Chief of the Division of Surgery, And my practice is based at Harborview, but we have four sites of practice within the city. The majority of my practice is endovascular, probably 70%, 30% is open. I do a lot of administrative stuff as well. I'd like to be doing more clinical stuff, (laughs) but I think the administrative stuff is fun as well.
2: And Nitin, when did you get involved with Viva and why?
0: So... The first time I came to Viva was when I was a fellow and I think it was 2005 and I was amazed by the technology and, and I'd been invited back to Viva as faculty. I was asked to join the board in uh, 2019. And, you know, at first I didn't really understand the responsibilities of it and I, I've always enjoyed the meeting and the, and the collaborative approach. And I think Viva really sets itself apart with that, with the multidisciplinary approach and. Different ideas and staying on top of technology, and that's what drew me into Viva.
2: Maureen, when did you uh, first go, and how did you get involved?
1: I started going to Viva as a rising mid-level faculty. was really drawn to the multidisciplinary approach and just a very different way that they presented and discussed vascular disease. And they were very open to looking at various other reasons that we should be considering when we take care of our patients, such as race, gender, socioeconomic differences. And I have presented at the late breaking session and really found the board at the time to be very collaborative. Um, And then I was really honored to present at the VLF, the Vascular Leaders Forum, right during the beginning of the Paxaxaxel controversy. And soon after that, I was asked to join the board. I think it was twenty twenty. And again, it's just the reason I love it so much is what Nitten said. I just want to echo the multidisciplinary approach. You know, you learn from your colleagues. I just wish we could channel that into our academic and private practice uh, centers as well. Yeah.
2: So I know the history of OEIS. You're probably familiar with OES, kind of similar multidisciplinary vibe, started by, you know, an IC and IR and a vascular surgeon around, you know, helping docs in the outpatient world. It sounds like Viva had a similar origin, but probably prior to OEIS. Can you guys tell us a little bit about that history and who was involved?
1: I think the fundamentals is very similar. So the founders were from the backgrounds of interventional radiology, interventional cardiology, vascular surgery, and vascular medicine, and they came together because you know, you go to your society meetings and you're in a silo and you may meet a couple of people from different societies at your meeting who are invited, but generally you're just preaching to each other. You're learning from each other and you're just, again, it's very narrow interpretation or narrow knowledge. And the founders from what I've learned wanted something where Um, We could learn from each other from different practices because vascular disease, you can't really give the best care to these patients by yourself without your colleagues' help. You know, you need the vascular medicine, you need the interventional cardiologist, and and sometimes you need the vascular surgeon. Just kidding. But uh, (laughs) I felt like that was at the core of it, trying to create, replicate a true practice where we teach each other, we learn from each other, and we continue to push the boundaries in terms of research and education.
0: You know, when it was founded in 2003, I think that there was just a lot of things going on. We're coming on transfemoral carotid stenting at that time. The training was was just starting for that. There's a lot of angst and people worrying about being able to do the procedure. And then all of the other revolutions that kind of happened during that time frame really spurred Viva. And, you know, we recently just had a board retreat where we honored one of the founders. John Laird was... One of the founders that's actually stepping off the board now or has stepped off the board. And, you know, you just look back and see what they've done during that time. You know, it's one of those things when you look back in time and you see people and, and seeing what they've actually accomplished for the field of vascular and, uh, amazing. And I think that is what Viva is about. You know, I was fortunate enough to, to be a fellow and have John Laird be, you know, one of my faculty members that taught me. Um, and, just learning from somebody like that and watching him kind of go through this time was amazing. And so I do think that the foundation is strong in the multidisciplinary collaborative approach. And we all have to be thinking like that in this day and age because you can't go it alone. One specialty can't do it and say that they're going to take everything. I think we're just not big enough. And there's a lot of places in this, in this country that aren't covered. You know, they seem like they don't have adequate vascular support.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that in a minute when we talk about some recent bad coverage in in that vein. But speaking of veins, when did veins split off? How did that come about as part of the conference? Because I've been to veins and it was excellent. And that's where I got to meet Raghu Kaluri and some others that are leaders in the field. Uh, And I highly recommend it. But tell us about veins and like where that came from.
1: So as you mentioned, Veins was a freestanding meeting on its own, separate to Viva, and Ragu was one of the founders. And I cannot emphasize the, the incredible human and genius that is Ragu Kulari, and and will always be embodied in Veins. Several years ago, the board of Viva, um, again, echoing on what we just said, building on what we just said, felt that the Viva meeting was very arterial focused and here was an opportunity as the venous intervention side was building and growing, not just with superficial venous insufficiency, but you know all the deep venous interventions, filters, PE, things like that, that this is a unique opportunity to again collaborate. I mean, that is at the core of our foundation and in the board is collaboration. How can we work together to grow, to take better care of patients? And so Raigu was approached to collaborate with Viva. And so Veins, the Veins meeting was folded into Viva. It is in itself separate and there is a brief overlap um, in the last day with the Viva meeting. But in itself, the Veins meeting is a multidisciplinary, very comprehensive educational meeting that focuses only on Venous disease and interventions. And because of that coming together, Ragu joined the board and it currently is serves as our president. And it's just has really added tremendous insight to the foundation and really rounded out nicely the arterial and venous side together.
2: Yeah, very cool. Speaking of other societies and other meetings, has there ever been, you know, any collaboration with the society it means like SIR, SVS? And if so, how did those unfold? And if not, like sometimes when a new meeting pops up, there's a little bit of pushback from other meetings. Like there's almost like like turf wars with other societies. Was there was there anything like that when Viva came about or have you ever seen, you know, experienced anything like that?
0: Yeah, I don't know if there's pushback. I think every society meeting's a little different, right? Because society meetings, we're members of a society. We advocate for the members of a society I think the unique thing about Viva is that we're advocating for vascular as a whole and it's a different purpose, right? I mean, you know, as you know, w- what we do is try to educate the public. We you know we're, it's philanthropy. It's in grants and education with AHA grants that we, we help out with trials. The best CLI was able to finish because we helped them get across. That finish line by helping fund the best CLI at the end. So I think that ours is different than a society. You know, it's not a group of just like minded people. You know, there's a lot of different opinions in a room. And I think that's what makes it, you know, unique. And you listen to somebody else's opinion and you you become, I think, more tolerant and broad minded. I I think that sometimes you get into society and it becomes an echo chamber a little bit. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but. It's just that I think what we offer is is a bit different.
2: Yeah, I think that is part of it. Sometimes you get too many cooks in the kitchen, and that can be a challenge, right, especially with different specialties coming together. Maureen, have you witnessed any challenges of multiple specialties coming together, and how do you overcome that?
1: Well, in my experience as division chief prior to being department chair, you, you see the challenges when there are, you know, so to speak, the turf wars, you know, who really should own PE? Who really should intervene for filters? Who should take care of superficial veins or deep veins? And there's really no organizing body that says, thou shalt only be a vascular surgeon and do this or, you know, that. So I think we can say all we want to say, but ultimately we have anesthesiologists doing superficial venous insufficiency therapy. So um who's to say they can or they cannot, but maybe there's something we can learn from them. You know, maybe their knowledge of anesthesia and pain can help with patient outcomes. I don't know, but I always come from the perspective of working together and collaboration. It's hard when our views are at stake and revenue needs to be generated and expenses need to be paid and a p l statement is given to you at the end of the day and you have to be held accountable to that. But I think, you know, when you step back from the finances, you're dealing with patients and at the core, you know, you have to be patient-centric and if you really want to do that, you have to work together. I just... Wanted to add the Viva Foundation is more than just the Viva Veins meeting, as Nitten said. And I think that what we have done in the recent few years is collaborate with the American Heart Association in supplying grants to further research projects, working to lead clinical trials. Um, and we'll, you know, hopefully be able to announce something about that in the next few months, pivotal trials, working with industry and other partners to complete clinical trials. And then putting up other meetings to address controversies or late-breaking things, such as the Vascular Leaders Forum. We just had one a few months ago in D.C. So I think that it's a great example that we can use to educate our up-and-coming members who really do need to work together, you know, whether you're an interventional cardiologist, radiologist, whatnot, to take better care of patients and we can all learn from each other. And as Nitin said, lots of different opinions, people do things very differently. And in the hospital, especially, there's lots of turf wars. But if you just step back and just say, like, listen, what's best for the patient here? Can we just work together? Because there's so much vascular disease. We really don't have to compete. We just need to get our act together. And we need to take care of these patients because there's so many patients, not enough of us to take care of them.
2: Yeah. Speaking of bringing all these specialties together, whether it be for the meeting or, you know, the foundation is funding research. How do you guys decide as a board or as the foundation what to invest in and what to include in terms of content at the meeting? Because, I mean, just my experience going to SIR, there's so many things, even there's subspecialties, even within IR, you have embolization, portal hypertension, dialysis, embolization. I'm sure it's the same with with vascular surgery. And then how do you guys decide what all to include at the meeting and then what research you're you're funding?
0: Right. So we've, for years, have partnered with AHA to give matching grants on Clinical vascular topics um, that are relevant, and I think that's you know one of the big areas is you know you try to identify research and goals that are in alignment with our philosophy of taking care of patients, as Maureen just said. You know everything is patient centric, and I think if you identify you know research that is aimed at that, then we help people reach the finish line. You know we are very nimble. That's the one thing about being on our board. The paclitaxel uh, VLF is an example right that came about viva organized a vascular leaders forum very quickly in 2019 to discuss that and you forward this that about 4 years when just a couple of weeks ago when the when the warning was lifted on paclitaxel you know we found out on a tuesday and by monday we had a webinar already up and ready to go to discuss that and all of the work that went into that but a lot of the work that went into that was from viva Putting, bringing people together from all kinds of disciplines to help raise awareness and identify whether truly there is something with Paclitaxel. And the FDA responded in kind as far as looking at all the data and, and everything else. So I think the one thing that, that Viva does quite well is react very quickly and be able to make a thoughtful reaction. Sometimes in societies and other things, it takes a little while to get through an executive board and lots of uh, layers that you have to deal with. And we don't have that as much because we're pretty nimble. Well, a perfect
2: example of that is the multi-society message on peripheral child disease that you guys just put out alongside SIR, SVS. There's a whole long list. I'd love to learn more about what we obviously, you know, the artic, The New York Times article came out a couple weeks ago, but obviously it takes a lot of time to put a message like that together. How did that unfold? Like, how did you guys answer it so quickly and do it and involve multiple societies. I imagine that took incredible coordination.
1: I think that I just want to echo and build upon what Nitin said, because we don't have, you know, we're a small group and we our exec committee is, is much smaller than the executive committee of the Society of Interventional Radiology or other societies. There's a lot less red tape and we all just get together, drop everything, get on a call, try to hash things out and then have a statement, the rest of the board reviews it and approves it. You know, I could tell you that the way that happened was a statement was created and within, as Nitton said, within a short period of time, communication was had with each and every board member to ensure that we agreed with the statement. The statement was approved by the board members and, you know, it was released. So as Nitton said, we're speedy, we're nimble, You know, we don't need to wait till three weeks from now. We don't need to wait for, you know, the next committee meeting. There's no really committees. It's just the board. So that's why we can move really fast. But I did want to talk about, you had said, in terms of content for Vivo or Veins, there's lots of different things, coming new things. And then in addition, there are different speakers, right? New up-and-coming speakers. And how we do that is such an inclusive way. We as a board get together. We create a program committee committee which includes people who are not necessarily on the board, but experts in their specific fields, whether it's IC, IR, vascular medicine, or vascular surgery. And we come up with a very collaborative and comprehensive educational curriculum. Nitten is leading the Viva meeting this year, and I'm leading the Veins meeting. And when you look at the content, when you look at the speakers, it's very broad. We have a lot of diversity Lots of new speakers who are up and coming, as well as just the giants of the field represented. So we do it as a as a board again, you know, and we get together during a retreat and we just hash it out. Lots of time spent before the board meetings to get the content for the rest of the board to look at. So it's really like a musketeer mentality, like all for one, one for all. You lead the charge, like Ragu's leading our charge, but he's including us every step of the way. And we know that time is of essence, so we could drop everything, see what he says, respond to him, and then get on with our lives. Very different than how societies function.
2: Yeah, that, well, at least that's what I hear. And I'm sure you guys are both been involved in your society as well. Well, you guys are the perfect people to ask then, what can we expect at Viva 2023 in terms of new innovations? Are there workshops? Are there live cases? Any kind of hands-on events?
0: Yeah. I think we have a fantastic lineup this year. Again, we're going to have workshops. We're going to have simulation. We have cadaver simulation as well. And we're going to be having a fellows program that is robust. As far as the cases and live cases, we continue to do that. I think that's what FIVA is known for is the live cases. And so this year we'll continue with our live cases with the group out of Leipzig, which is always a treat. We're also going to have our board members, Aaron Armstrong is going to be doing live cases out of Denver. We have Sarah Sabri, who will be doing uh, live cases out of MedStar in DC. And we have one of my partners, uh, Sarah Zetterval, who will be uh, doing a live case here from the University of Washington. So it's going to be a a wide group and it's always interesting and it's always fun, and especially the live case and live case discussions. But also the things that I think bring a lot of people and a lot of excitement is the late-breaking clinical trials. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what's coming up on those. I think those are always crowd pleasers and, and again, educating people on what's coming up in some of these trials, because there is a lot of innovations happening right now. And I think that we will be staying on top of all of those. So I think that it's going to be a robust, you know, comprehensive program on the vascular space. So how does Sahir do that? Is he is he not
2: going to go to Vegas? Is he just going to hang out in DC, do the live case? Or is he going to fly back and forth?
0: No, he has to. So he's going to come for a few days and then fly back. And and actually, all of them are. You know, Aaron and Sarah. Sarah's doing, I mean, they're all, you know, a, not the group from Leipzig. But, yeah. you know, they will be able to, to get back. Yeah.
2: That's cool. I didn't know there was a live case in Leipzig. I wanted to ask you guys, what's the international vibe? Are you guys, Do you guys get a lot of people from all over the world? Or is it mostly... What's that breakdown, U.S. and international?
0: Well, we have international speakers every year, people represented from Europe and other places. And as far as the, I think our reach goes, you know, I think during that whole time when we were virtual, the reach is is broad in that sense. But I think that, you know, the majority of attendees, live attendees that come are from the United States, but we do get a fair amount of people that are traveling internationally as well.
1: Also, our main international collaboration is with the link. So, and that's the Leipzig group. I did want to just put a little blurb about veins. So for the veins meeting, we're really excited this year. It'll be our second year in a row to have our own late-breaking clinical trials with respect to abstract presentation with respect to venous research. So we premiered that last year and it was really successful. And so I'm really excited about that again this year. We always have a blue sky morning session where we learn the latest and greatest coming down the pike from industry. And uh, it's really well attended at standing room only. So I'm really excited about that. This year, we're going to have a live patient evaluation for superficial venous insufficiency therapy. So complex diseases so that the audience members can understand how you should do a proper examination, what to look for and how to treat patients with a variety of complex diseases. And The content is going to have a very comprehensive curriculum of all things related to venous disease, including, you know, superficial veins, deep veins, PE with lots of the clinical trials that are coming out soon, and pelvic venous disease or PEVD.
2: Fantastic. Yeah. Is it always in Vegas every year? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Is it at the same place or do you guys switch around different hotel spots
0: it's it's at the same place it's at the win and uh it's been at different venues within vegas well fantastic we did touch a little bit on the multi-society
2: message you know you guys are probably aware we just recently had sahir on the show with frank arco to talk a little bit about give a little bit of commentary about the recent new york times article because it had this sort of anti-collaborative feel to it. And so that's why we wanted to, we wanted to get that out. That was sort of our back table message to just kind of talk through that. Do you guys, you guys don't need to comment, but just curious to know what what your initial personal reaction was to the article.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's a shame when, you know, it's the 1% that gets highlighted. And I think 99% of people that are in this probably do the right thing. And uh, unfortunately, there's people out there that aren't. And the one thing you don't want to do is have messages scare our patients into coming to see us. And majority of my practice is CLTI patients. And I don't want them to be afraid of coming to the doctor. The majority are already afraid. You just, you know, you hope that this doesn't scare people from coming in. You know, I think that there are things that need to be highlighted and people need to be aware of certain practice patterns and and things. And personally, all politics is local, right? I mean, I'm in an academic practice, so I it, it's a different setting. So my challenges are different and Maureen's challenges are different. And so everyone has different challenges that they're dealing with. But I do think that sometimes the so-called bad actors get highlighted and that it sells newspapers.
2: Yeah. Thank you, then for that. Maureen, any commentary on that?
1: I was wondering what the aim of the article was. Was it to showcase, you know, bad apples here and there or to send a message to patients to be more careful or or to say that practices in OBLs need to be more restricted, et cetera. I think the overall message is, in my opinion, I don't believe that- yeah. You know, given the workforce shortages that we're seeing, that we could survive with doing all interventions in a hospital, and that we have to push to do interventions in ambulatory settings, whether it's an ASC or OBLS. Now, the uh, regulatory, you know, restrictions may be less in those settings, but that shouldn't prevent us from trying to take better care of patients in those settings. It's better for patients to go to OBL. It's better for patients to go to ASCs. It's probably not needed for patients to go to the hospital for these ambulatory cases. I was hoping that that message was not going to be lost on people, that all OBLs are bad or all ASCs are bad because people do bad things there. I think people do plenty of bad things in the hospital too. So we need to be nimble. We need to make sure that our colleagues are held accountable. We need to have m ms We need to review our complications. We need to watch out for each other and and intervene when we see that the outcomes of one operator is, is that which is outside the spectrum for the majority. And, and I think it sounds a little rosy, but I think that's really how we're going to get over this um, workforce shortage and, and try to get better care of our patients.
2: And so my last question before we finish up is, do you think this is going to be something that we discuss at meetings, at, the, at Viva or other society meetings going forward? Like, would it be worthwhile to have even just a session on it? so that we can talk about it openly?
0: Yeah, well, we already had this on the Viva agenda. Oh, great. We started this last year, you know, improving vascular care for the disadvantaged and what's on the horizon. And so we had that last year, we have it this year with a group of people talking about how do you incentivize people to practice in underserved areas? I mean, because that's a problem, right? Is that we have this wide swath of the country that, that doesn't have enough people taking care of vascular disease. And we've known the history of people getting amputations without even having a vascular study done. And that's that's known. We have that session. And actually, you know, the interesting part is we already had a session on exploring OBLs, office-based labs. What's the benefit of an OBL? You know, how do we change the perception and why the perception matters of people working in an OBL because of, you know, the very things that just came out recently, right? Is, it was interesting that we already had that on our agenda and we will be talking about it at Viva this year. Perfect.
2: Maureen, any any last words before we finish up?
1: I just wanted to echo that anybody who's interested in learning more about all things vascular disease, whether it's arterial venous, should register to come to either the veins and the Viva meeting. It's an incredibly fun venue, lots of activities to do for families or people without in Las Vegas. And the setting is is so fun and gentle in a way because you will have these giants of the field just walking around the hotel and you could just pull them aside and say hey like what do you think about this obl controversy or what are your thoughts about you know the paclitaxel drama or how could we avoid things like that in the future so i really would encourage the audience to look into viva and veins and to come and really enjoy this great conference and, and also las vegas and it's halloween So who doesn't want to go to Las Vegas during Halloween? I mean, like that is a once in a lifetime thing. Like that has to be on everybody's bucket list. So why not just come and get it over with?
2: So should they bring costumes? Is that what you're saying?
1: I I mean, you could certainly do that. Or I suspect you could find um, very uh, interesting costumes (laughs) to purchase in Las Vegas.
2: Perfect. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show. Appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully we'll see you there. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts
0: Chris Beck, Sabine Dong, Michael Barraza,
1: and Ali Behetti.
0: Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhirter. Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, Josh Spencer, design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz,
1: social media and PR by Anne Dang. Manisha Naganathanahali,
0: and Manveer Singh Subli.
1: Administrative support provided by Jimmy Willie
2: Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening.